0: From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue? I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the questions CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the live show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman. I'm joined by my longtime friend and business partner, Eric Kalis. Eric, say hi. Hello. Today, we're really excited to be talking about one of the things that is definitely wrong with revenue. You don't have the right mix of marketing tactics. So we're going to go into that in a great degree of detail. I wanted to just take a break for a minute, and I'll do my my typical like where you can find the show and all those other things. But you know, we've been doing the show, we're on episode 27, and uh you might be wondering how many things can these guys talk about in terms of what's wrong with revenue. So this is an interesting kind of behind the scenes. I, I, I plan the show typically in like monthly spurts. So I might plan for like the next four shows. And then, you know, as the shows start to get close, I plan for another four shows, but I decided today to plan for the next 10 shows. So, cause I was getting bothered every month having to do this. So you'd think how hard is it to come up with 10 things that might be wrong with revenue we haven't talked about over the past 27 weeks. And you'll be shocked to know it really wasn't that hard. There's really so much wrong with this. And it's so complex that literally in a matter of minutes, I did, you know, poke Eric for some, you know, questions that prospects are asking him to make sure I was on the right track a little bit, but it really didn't take me that long to come up with 10 more shows. So obviously There's a lot more runway here for us to talk about in terms of what's wrong with revenue. And we're excited that there's uh, an opportunity to to bring some of this thought leadership to everybody that's watching the show. And obviously, we appreciate everybody that listens and and helps us promote it. Um, Again, if you want to check out the show, you can go to the square2marketing.com YouTube channel. All the shows are posted there literally the next day. You can get access to all of them. Please like it and subscribe, and then you'll get notified when we do post new shows there. All of our shows are now on the square two plus page on the square two marketing website, square two marketing.com backslash square two P L U S. And you can get all of the shows as well as subscribe to get notifications on when shows are posted uh, on square two plus. And if you would like to get a calendar notification or ask us questions, because we do answer questions on the show, go to the square two website, go to the bottom of the footer, there's a what's wrong with revenue link. You can click it. You can get a calendar notification so you can join the show live. And you can also submit questions, which we will handle today. So like I said at the top of the show, today we're going to tackle situations where companies might not have the right set of marketing tactics. We did do a whole show on random acts of marketing. And we're not going to talk about that today. But it is pretty Uh, apparent that people don't always know what tactics to use and what order to use them and how to orchestrate them to produce results. The prospects have a very complex buyer journey today, and that has made the selection and execution of marketing tactics equally complex. So we're going to go into that and talk about that in a little more detail today. And hopefully at the end of the show, you'll know what tactics to use, when to use them, how to decide which ones might be prioritized over other tactics um, we're going to talk about how to manage them so that you get that orchestrated approach. We're going to talk about how to prioritize them and budget them based on what you're trying to do. There's a lot of talk about omnichannel, which, if you're not sure what that means, that means you're using multiple tactics at the same time to execute a campaign. Uh, I have a whole show dedicated to campaigns, so I don't want to stray too far into campaigns, but it's a little challenging. Even some of the questions we got, I, I repurposed to the campaign show, but You know, this is about selection of tactics as opposed to design your campaigns. We'll spend a whole another show talking about campaigns in the near future. And specifically, when to say no to certain tactics and why. I think that's another interesting point here is not all the tactics are right all the time. And sometimes what you say no to is just as important as what you say yes to. So that sets the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Eric, anything you'd like to add at the kickoff here?
1: No, I think it's an important topic that people should really digest.
0: Okay, so let's talk about how to know what tactics to use and when. Um, When you're thinking about your execution from a marketing perspective, generally, you're going to want to start with what your goals are. We did a whole show on goal setting and what to expect from your marketing. So, again, I don't want to stray too far down that path but if you have a pretty good idea what you're trying to accomplish and it could be demand generation like you want to get your name out there and you want to just drive more people to your website Uh, you want more people to know about your brand you want more people to consume your content and you're not really interested in leads you're just interested in that that kind of demand and 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 brand awareness and it's perfectly good those are perfectly good goals and objectives you're probably going to pick a different set of tactics than, you're in, than if you're interested in generating leads, uh, marketing qualified leads. And you may even set up, you, you may even pick a whole different set of tactics if you're interested in generating sales opportunities, which would be people who are further down their buying journey than the people who are marketing qualified leads. So I think, you know, if your question is, you know, how do we know what tactics to use and when, then those would be some questions I would be asking myself what are the goals and objectives of what i'm trying to accomplish here what are the business outcomes i'm looking for and then i would start there in terms of trying to decide what the right set of tactics are anything you want to add to that eric nope okay good so i will ask you eric to maybe talk a little bit about let's assume our objective is inbound right so we want to we want to get people to our website, we want them to fill out a form, we want them to give us their contact information, we wanna nurture them, the the standard inbound playbook. Um, How would you suggest someone think about organizing the tactics in a way that you get that one plus one equals three that we're constantly talking to people about that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's a lot of website centric conversation if you're saying that it's um,
1: inbound oriented, would you agree?
0: You broke up a little bit. What was
1: that? Um, I assume that this is very website centric because we're talking about inbound. Is that yes, correct? That,
0: that would be correct. Yeah.
1: Okay, good. So I think for the most part, people have pretty crappy websites and that is a great place to start. Now there's different kinds of companies. So if you're listening and you have an e-commerce company and you want someone to whip out their credit card and spend $20 on one of your products, that's one approach, but Typically, our listeners and audience are B2B companies who are involved in complex sales, long sales cycle, and high ticket averages, meaning that they're selling a software package for $50,000, not a subscription for $9 a month. So if I'm leaning into the second scenario of B2B, the website has to do so many different things, and that's the first tactic that I would look at typically, if I meet with an entrepreneur and I ask them about their business, they're happy to tell me very exciting things that are going on in their company, things they do differently, things they developed over the years. And then I go check out their website and I don't see those stories. That's a big breakdown. Most companies have a fabulous inside reality and it doesn't match the outside perception. So the website as a tactic is the first place that you have to start. Nobody is going to hire your business uh, looking to spend $50,000 if they don't check out your website first. And your website has to be a great experience. It has to give them answers they're looking for. It has to validate why you're the obvious choice to do business with. It has to educate them by providing content to help them in their buying decision. And it has to also differentiate you from the competition so that when people get to your website, they're like, oh, huh, these guys are the obvious choice to do business with. So I think when we start the conversation, website is the first tactic that uh, needs to be cured in most scenarios. Would you agree, Mike?
0: I would. And you're actually bringing up a, a really good point and a really nice, really nice bridge into something I wanted to talk about. There are a variety of tactics buried in the website project, right? It's not you. You talked about the message and the story that you need your website to tell. That's, in my opinion, one tactic right? You might have to spend a couple of weeks really crafting that message and getting it to resonate and have it be emotional and disruptive. And to your point, tell a story in 10 seconds, because all the research tells us that's all the time you have when someone lands on your website before they want to hit the back button or, or, or lose interest. That's one tactic, right? W- associated with the website. You then have a, a, a technical SEO tactic associated with the website don't you? You know, your website has to be ranked on Google. That's another tactic that should probably be at the top of the list because, I mean, yes, you're right. People are going to be driven to your website, but also you want people to organically find your website. If they can't find your website, that's a that's one of the broken tactics. Wouldn't you agree? 100%. Right. So you have to make sure that your website is getting technically optimized by Google. So now you're talking about the selection of the URL naming convention and the way you describe your pages and the, the tags that are on images and the page load speeds. Uh, There's a lot of performance related metrics these days that have to be highly optimized in order for Google to rank you. It has to work really well on mobile. If your site doesn't work on mobile, Google won't even show you your site on a mobile search, search that someone does on a smartphone or device. So Mm -hmm. You know, there's another tactic connected to that you have a, you're, you're gonna have a ton of content related tactics associated with your website if we're talking about the inbound playbook then you're driving people to your website you're showing them a CTA call to action you're putting them on a landing page and getting them to convert from anonymous visitor into new contact with a with a form so you know now you're talking about CTA design you're talking about landing page design you're talking about form optimization. You know, those are all additional tactics that wrap around the website that need to be executed at the same time. Yeah, go talk ahead. About the nurture
1: campaign that it'll trigger once someone downloads that piece of content.
0: Yes, that's a really good point. So, someone downloads content, you want to send them a series of emails related to what they downloaded and you want those to be strategically designed to kind of pull them through the buyer journey. We did talk about that in a previous episode, but that's a good point. And you're collecting all these new contacts, all these net new names, you have to do something with those also. So that would lead you to uh, another kind of closely related tactic, which would be your general email marketing campaign. If you're collecting these people on your website, you're not continuing the conversation. Yes, lead nurture is one of them, but in a couple of I don't know if that's a three-set nurture or a five-set nurture Eventually, that's going to shut off. You're not going to keep nurturing those people. And if you don't have any air cover emails, as I typically call these general marketing emails, you're not going to be talking to them anymore. So this is what happens. You end up with this kind of onion that we're peeling back and all of these other tactics are presenting themselves. Before you know it, you have 10 15 different things that you're supposed to be doing and look we're just scratching the surface i could go on and on with these website related tactics sure eric go ahead
1: well i mean i i want to be very blunt because our listeners are depending on us for a no fluff approach to this kind of conversation what we just talked about a website a content a landing page a conversion form a database and a nurture campaign What percentage would you say of the companies we speak with have just that basic blocking tackling in place?
0: Well, I would say a very small percentage. A a larger percentage of them have pieces of it, right? But I don't know how many, a surprisingly small amount of people have all of it like we've been describing. Wouldn't you agree with that? I wanted to bring up that point because
1: if we just stop the episode now, And we said, okay, everybody, here's your homework. Enhance your website, put content on it, calls to action, form, technology, database, whatever you want to call that part, nurture campaign, and stop right there. Everybody on this call would get an immediate pop in their marketing results because it's the basics. Now, what's really frustrating to me is that all of those people who own businesses or are marketing folks that are doing this, they like to buy stuff. And when they go on their journey to buy something, they're like, oh, I wish there was more content. I wish I could get my questions answered. I wish there was, you know, some more information here. So it's like this weird mix of like they know what's right, but yet we don't execute the right tactics. And that's really frustrating for us, because honestly, if clients came to us and they already had the basics in place and they wanted to amp it up to the next level, it would be so much easier and so much more reasonable. but. It's like we're breaking bad news to people when we say, well, we got to do all this other stuff before we do campaigns, because if we drive people to your website and we can't get these kinds of activities going, then your campaign investment will be for naught. And that's really frustrating because everybody on today's call, their homework should be simply to put in the basic blocking and tackling. And that's where I want to emphasize that even though we're kind of like, oh, of course you have to have these six things. Very few people have them.
0: It's a really good point. And you're you're really right. If they did, plus if they had that, we would have like some data that we could actually look at and be like, look, these things are actually working pretty well. These things here could be working better. Let's just optimize those. But you're right. With most people we talk to, we really have to build their program from scratch, which is a pretty, it's a pretty significant investment when they're at zero, right? If they came to us and they were at least, you know, it's almost like they show up and they want to they want, to, uh, they, they want to build a car and they have nothing. And we have to help them buy all the parts and put the parts together. At least if they came to us with the car, but the car didn't go over 30, we could help them get it to go up to 60,
1: right? I, I think the better analogy is one we use all the time, which is the building of the house, right? They come to us with a plot of land, but in the back of their car, they have the light fixtures and the plumbing tile or the, the bathroom tile. And they're like, yeah, let's start with this. We're like, well, obviously we have to dig a hole first and we have to pour some concrete. And then we got this like thing called a frame that we got to put up. And they're frustrated. They're like, no, 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 let's just jump right to the bathroom. And you just can't do it. Now, to your point, if they came to us with an old fixer upper and they were like, hey, can you make this into a nice place for my family to live? It would be so much easier. Yeah, the foundation is strong. We just need to kind of put lipstick on a pig. And that's what we don't get for the most part in marketing, because I don't know why people understand that they want to give information to their prospects. They want to take people through a sales process. They want to tell their story. They want to beat the pants off the other guy, but they don't do it. And then when they come to us, they're frustrated that they have to do all those things chronologically first before you can get to the fancy stuff.
0: Yeah. And and look, we didn't really even get too far into it. We didn't talk about video. We didn't talk about chat like those are all other tactics that would should be under consideration for even some you know basics of a you know of an inbound marketing campaign now if we're going to talk about demand gen where now you're talking about you know paid search and paid social and to eric's very great great point in the beginning like where are you sending them right you have to send those people somewhere you have to send them the landing pages which, which have to be on your website you have to know what stories to tell them in those ads like you, you need to kind of pull on the, that work that you did on that foundational stuff to even run a demand gen campaign. And I think Eric's right. A lot of people see like the, the, the sexy options. Like I want to do a Facebook ad campaign. Okay, great. Well, what are you going to say? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I just know people are having success with that. And I, I want to run that. Well, where are you going to send them when they see the ad? Well, to my, to my homepage. Well, that, that's not right. You want to send them to a very specific page, so you get them to convert on that particular ad story, and then we can uh, uh, attribute some revenue to that ad spend. Oh, okay, right. So it pretty quickly unravels when they don't have those foundational pieces in there. Let's talk about this for a minute, because we, we're obviously, Eric, you know that No one has an unlimited budget and no one has all the resources they need to do all the things they want to do. That's a common challenge we face when we start talking to people. They're a little under, uh, they they haven't really planned appropriately for what they need to spend. And they definitely don't have the resources, either the hands or the expertise to do the things that we're, we're talking about. So how could somebody start to prioritize some of the things we've been talking about like how do they know what is number one and and what is number two is there like any methodology you could share with them that might help them answer that question because they're they're not going to do everything how do they how do they sift through it
1: sure well this is where a lot of people are in the dark they don't stop put themselves in the prospective client's shoes and look at their own company right and this is hard to do because it's easy to talk about ourselves. It's hard to talk about the other people. If I asked you about your two boys, Mike, you could talk about those guys all day. Second I start talking about my kids, you're polite for a minute or two. And then you kind of zone out because now it's not about Mike anymore. Now it's about Eric. It's the same thing with marketing, right? We 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 don't want to stand in the shoes of our prospects because that's hard, right? Oh, we need all these things and they would want that. But that's actually the secret sauce. So if I was starting a, a, a understanding of what marketing tactics to employ, I would start with the prospect. And like we just said, the first thing the prospect is going to do, even if it's a referral, is they're going to check out your website. Mike, do you think anybody's ever hired square two without checking out our website? There's no way. Exactly. They. I'm going to spend some money here. i have got to check these people out, see samples of their work, check out the team. What are they all about? Where are they located? Um, do they win any awards? Like I have those questions because I want to feel safe in my purchase. So let's uh, start that way. Let's say we're an accounting firm, and uh, they are not marketers; they're accountants, and they don't have uh, they haven't been spending any money for five years. Now they come and they say, "What tactics? Right? The essence of our show today. What tactics should I use? What's my mix?" So I'd say, OK, well, the business owner that's looking for a new accounting firm, they're going to want to have a really good website. OK, great. So we need a website. Now, the accounting firm hasn't attended to their website in five years, even though their accountants they did not put together a five year sinking fund of money that they were meaning to invest in marketing in year five. Right. They have no budget. But meanwhile, they want to double the size of their firm. So we have to start in the places where that would be mo- most impactful. And the website's the first place to start. So now what are my pains? Well, my pains are, I'm I'm looking for a new accounting firm because my old accountant surprised me with a giant tax bill at the end of last year. And I want a firm that can help me with better tax minimization. So the second thing besides having a good website is I need content around how my firm helps companies minimize taxes. Now, to your earlier point, Mike, that could be a simple video that we put on the page that's titled Tax Minimization Strategies for Business. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm an accountant at Accountants Incorporated. I just wanted to let you know that there are three things that we always look at to make sure that clients have less tax bills at the end of the year. Now, because I know what the prospect is looking for, I'm providing those tactics to help solve that problem. Assuming I do a good job on my video, at the end of the video, it says, if you want a free analysis of your tax strategy, give us a call. There's a call to action. I click on that, it takes me to a landing page with a form, it's automatically routed to the business development person at the accounting, and now I've gotten what I wanted, more sales opportunities. But they can't affect that unless they're standing in the shoes of the prospect asking themselves, what do I have to give these folks to generate that sales opportunity? So that's where I would always start with like stand in the shoes of the prospect. There's just too many people that want to talk about their 25,000 square foot facility, the fact that they're family owned and operated and they've been around 23 years. Those are important validation, but it's not the lead story. The lead story is help me save on taxes.
0: Yeah, so I'll add like a little more operational perspective on this. Eric's right. It has to start with you know what your prospects are looking for. But if you're in marketing or you've been tasked with with trying to figure out what tax, ta- tactics to use for your company, you might want to start thinking about what is going to generate the biggest lift for the least amount of effort. Now, I'm going to move on from the website because it's it's just table stakes. You need to have a website. Now, you don't need a 20 page website. You know, you probably could get by with a really nice one page website. In fact, I I had a guy launch a business a couple of weeks ago with a one-page website, right? And it's great. And now over time, he's going to add more pages to the website. And it's a much more manageable project than trying to do like a 20-page website all at once. So you, you could do that. But what's going to drive results for the least amount of lift? So again, if we're talking about lead gen and you want to generate leads, then Eric's right. Put an offer on the homepage that when people visit, they can click on it and they can convert and have a conversation with you. That would be uh, a sales opportunity generated related objective. So if you're, if you uh, your CEO has said to you, we need more sales opportunities, ask for the sales opportunity on the homepage and, and ask for it in a way that it doesn't appear to be a sales call. Right? So if you're like, get a quote, speak to a sales rep, it's not going to perform as well as if you said, I think Eric's uh, accounting example was a free accounting review, well, there's something in it for me that's going to perform much better than a talk to a sales rep about hiring us for accounting services. So, again, consider what you can do that makes it appear to not be a sales call. And there's going to be some value provided there for the people who are converting. That's it. You know, if, you, if, if, if resources are tight and you don't have a lot of opportunity to do more than that, then just start with that. And then create a set of ongoing tasks that allow you to build it out from there. So what we just talked about is a late stage buyer journey offer that's going to create sales opportunities. Maybe you want to consider in month two, an early stage buyer journey, like some kind of ebook that might create marketing qualified leads. And along with that ebook, run the nurture uh, tactics that we talked about before. And maybe that's all you can do, right? Break it up into manageable chunks and focus on those things that are going to take the least amount of effort and produce the biggest amount of lift. I think that's a really good way for people with limited resources to think about tackling what could pretty quickly appear to be a, a, a very major project.
1: Mike, okay. right. give the audience like the title of that ebook because you know uh, free review for your tax minimization strategy is something everybody can understand as a late journey offer, but we'll give them an actual example for the accounting firm of what that ebook might uh, present.
0: Right. So the the best way to try to come up with these content offers is to think about questions that your prospects are asking. So if I'm not yet ready to look for a new accounting firm, so I'm early in my buyer journey, but I have accounting related questions, I might have a question like, what's changed in the 2022 tax code that might affect me as a business owner, right? I don't really know anything about taxes, but I want to be a little smarter about it. So I might want to download something like, uh, 10 changes that business owners need to be aware of in 2022 because of the tax code changes, right? Every year, there's a ton of changes in the tax code. Only the accountants really know what it is. So I might want to know those that are very related to me as a business owner. That's an example. I mean, I could, I could probably rattle oh, off ten, 10 more, right?
1: Right. But I think that's great because in layman's terms, if I'm trying to attract business owners for my accounting firm and I say, here are the things you should know, I'm not asking them to hire my firm. I'm making a deposit before I'm taking a withdrawal. I'm giving you this information in the spirit of let me help you if I appreciate that as a prospective client, all right, now I'm on your mailing list, right? Now I can start to hear more from that firm. But that was a really good example of something that helps someone that engages with them without having to try to sell them something.
0: Yeah. So I also told you as the prospect for that accounting firm that I'm not sure I need a new firm, but I'm curious about things that might be going on related to me and taxes. If I'm A little further down my journey, then I might be looking for 10 questions to ask your accounting firm before you hire them. That's obviously designed for people who are already looking for a new firm haven't switched yet and are looking for a little bit of guidance in that selection process so that would be middle of the buyer journey offer that could be you know, an ebook or a tip sheet or something like, or even again, like a video, or you could even run a webinar, how to pick your new accounting agency in 2022, right? Well, or how to,
1: how to drive down your tax bill in 2022. That might be a good webinar. Yes. Maybe bring on a couple of clients so I can kind of empathize, hey, look, those folks are just like me. Like, I
0: feel like this, this accounting firm gets me. Exactly. So we kind of addressed a lot. We addressed the, the, the variety and the sheer amount of tactics that are available to people today. We addressed kind of how to maybe start picking and choosing from these tactics based on your limited resource or limited budget. We modeled a little bit about how some of these tactics could get executed in an, in an omni-channel approach. And again, if you lean into what is your what are the business objectives, that's also gonna give you some better direction in terms of what tactics to pick. And the last thing I'm gonna leave you with, and then we're gonna do some questions, is I find a lot of people, have a very uh, uh, impatient or short fuse approach to the tactics that they're running. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people who say something like, well, I ran paid ads for a week and it didn't work. That's never, you're, you're, no paid campaign is going to work if you run it for a week. It's always going to, you're always going to feel like it didn't work. So I think the other thing to consider when you're putting these tactics together is make sure you understand the time frame that you need to apply to them before you decide if they're working or not. And when it comes to those demand gen tactics, like like paid, it's at least a month and it's probably three months. If you're talking about these inbound tactics that we talk about, it might be six months or a year because you're really only leaning, leaning into your own traffic to the website, your own email database. Like you're not really bringing new people to you other than those that might find you organically. Um It might take six months or a year for those assets to start converting and turning into new marketing, qualified leads or sales opportunities. So make sure you have the right time horizon around these tactics or else you're going to cut them off too early and never know. Eric and I can tell you a ton of stories from clients that got impatient with an inbound program. And as soon as they decided to take it and do it themselves, they started getting leads from the inbound program that had been running for a couple months prior to that. I mean, how embarrassing is that to say it's not working and then all of a sudden you say it's not working, it starts working. It happens It happens all the time. So um, a lot there to digest. If you guys have any questions about any of that, you guys know how to get in touch with us. So let's do some of the questions that were submitted. Um, okay, this is a good one. Um, So this question is from Daisy in Minnesota. How many tactics should we include in our planning exercise? So it's a good question. Like, how do you know when you have enough? I think is what she's trying to say. And the the answer to that is really about what you're trying, what you're expecting from, from your marketing. So just to use real numbers here, if someone says to you, we need 40 leads a month then you should be designing a plan and selecting enough tactics to drive 40 leads a month. Now I'm talking about marketing qualified leads. So that means you have to do enough email. You have to make sure your visitors are high enough to to run a reasonable conversion rate to produce those amount of leads. And what, what I would do to answer your question specifically is I would start lining up tactics and estimating how many leads you think you're going to get from each tactic until you get to 40. And maybe to be safe, go up to 60, which means you can have some underperformance in there and you can still hit your goals. If you stop building your plan at 40 and there's some under, unexpected underperformance, you're going to miss your goals. But if you plan for 60 and not everything works like it's supposed to, you still might hit your 40 lead tactic. So whatever that means, right? You might have to do some technical optimization. You might have to publish some content. You might have to redo some landing pages. You might have to run a paid campaign to generate new visitors to the website. You might have to do some influencer, you know, like whatever tactics you're considering, project the amount of leads that you think you're going to get from each of them until you get to your goals. And that would be one way to to know going into it, you have the right amount of tactics to, to hit your goals. Anything you want to add, Eric?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a good plan, but I like also the layered approach, right? Let's say I select 10 tactics that I think will get me to 40 or 60 leads a month, right? Assuming there's going to be a little bit of uh, turbulence in there, right? But once again, to begin our show, we talked about how very few companies have the bandwidth or expertise to knock those out in a short order. So then I would start my layered approach, meaning that I would prioritize that list and then maybe even prioritize things that are adjacent to one another. I don't want to build a conversion page unless I have some technology to capture that email and a nurture campaign to follow up with those people. So maybe I group those three together, right? The reason I say that is because I, I, so many businesses, and we're not talking about like baby businesses we've talked to. We're talking about like companies doing five five $500 million revenue somewhere in that middle market they just don't have enough bandwidth in order to build 20 tactics in a month or even a quarter. And that's why maybe, okay, we're just going to build these three. Now, of course, you can always hire a firm or you could get some contractors to do it for you. But I think today's listeners want to know what can they do without spending a lot of money that'll give them the biggest bang for their buck. So not only is it uh, selecting the tactics that'll get you to 60, but then prioritizing them and then grouping them will give you the fastest uh, path to success.
0: Good point. Uh, this is from Glenn in Dallas. How can I associate projected leads with specific tactics to forecast performance from our campaign? So I think Glenn's asking about revenue attribution here associated with specific tactics. Do you have some advice for Glenn?
1: Well, I don't think it's revenue that he's looking for, assuming Glenn's a guy. Uh, I, I think he's looking for a lead gen, right?
0: He does say, yes, Glenn is a guy. He does say um, associated project uh, projected leads.
1: Leads. Okay, good. So I'm sorry, repeat his question. I want to answer it perfectly.
0: How can I associate projected leads with specific tactics to forecast ah, okay. performance for our campaigns? You can.
1: That is the answer, right? Because every single company is different and every single tactic produces differently for every company. And then you put on the things like there's different messaging and offers and, and uh, industries and things like that. So the first thing to do is guesstimate, Right all right, let's be honest. And we just went through the same exercise. We're sponsoring a large entrepreneur conference. And I said to you, all right, 500 people are coming. How many leads do you think we could generate? And actually my question was, how many books should I bring to give away? And then we started that whole conversation about, well, maybe like one in five people will take the book. Okay. Everybody takes the book. They're serious. Out of those 100, out of the 500, how many of those will convert? All right. Well, let's say uh, half of those would be interested in talking. Okay. That's 50. How many leads do we actually need to get to the, well, if we close two deals from the conference, it would pay for itself. The third deal would be gravy. Okay, well, if we have 50 people take the book, the chances are we'll get three deals. Like We started that whole conversation without literally having one scrap of data, but- being marketing folks, right? The folks that are listening today, they can know that the difference between three and 300, right? I'm not going to a conference with 500 people and assuming 300 people would want to talk to me about doing business. So, you know, you start with your gut. Then that gut gets locked down as to your projection, okay? So our goal here is 50 conversations, 25 sales opportunities, and five deals. Let's start there. Then you start to say, well, what can I do to protect those numbers, right? Well, what if I did some pre show promotion, created some in show buzz, and then had a really tight follow up program? Would that help me or not? Oh, yeah, then I think that that would be good. Okay, great. So let's do that. Now I feel more comfortable about my number. I don't want to expand it. Now we have the conversation about average engagement size. Well, are they going to spend 25,000, 50,000, 75,000? Let's be conservative and say twenty-five okay, well, the conference costs five grand And if I do three deals at $75,000 in revenue at 10% net margin would be 7,500. We would make 2,500 on the deal. Seems reasonable. Lock that down, go to the show, follow up with all the data three months after the show and you'll have your answer. Use that to, to springboard into the next shows. And now I did that. Okay, what could I have done better? What worked? What didn't work? And like you said earlier, Mike, it's an ongoing exercise. It's not a one and done event.
0: Yeah, I I know what you're saying, and you're, you're you're describing the conversation very accurately. But we we are not really like uh, we're using kind of intuitive data in those conversations. You know, you're right. We didn't really. We've done shows before. We've given books away before. Like, I know it seemed like because we were talking about it like kind of casually, but I would say we probably had more data than you're giving us credit for. I know we didn't like go to HubSpot and pull up the last show we did and, and, and look at all that specifically, but I think your, your point is still good. Uh, I think the people listening could, could actually go into a a database or go into some marketing automation they have and, and, and pretty quickly get some additional information that would help them run through the same exercise you did from your mouth
1: to God's ears, that they have that data. But you know, as well as I do, just a small percentage of folks could actually have that information at their fingertips, right? And even there, they're depending on the salespeople at the booth to, to correctly attribute the CRM. And they're talking about clean data versus dirty data. And the fact that the show didn't give up the list of the people so they couldn't nurture the folks that didn't stop by the booth. There's a lot of compounding factors. And all I'm saying is, it's okay to guesstimate and see. Now, if we said, well, we're going to need 30 deals to make a break even on that show. We know, and just like the people who work in marketing and sales teams across the world, they know they're not getting 30 deals out of 500 people. So
0: don't go to the show. Right. Yeah. And you can also um, be extremely conservative, right? So, you know, if you're concerned about this type of exercise, and you don't have data, just be extra conservative, right? Well, I and and call then- blow smoke
1: up your skirt right I'm always like this is what I think is going to happen but if it still doesn't work at 50% the expectations I don't want to do it because I know that everybody's overly optimistic on the results they'll get from a campaign.
0: Right so if you're extremely conservative, and you can still make a case for it I think you have a very good plan in front of you for sure Oh, I agree. Yeah, okay good. Um, so we did talk about this for a second, but Kyle from Vermont asks, how long should we lean into specific tactics before we either start optimizing them or consider sunsetting them? So we ta- I talked about this real briefly, but I want to I lean into Kyle's optimization comment because, you know, I did mention you got to give it time, right? Whatever, whatever that means to you, you have to be patient. You have to get your, your leadership team to be patient, too. But the optimization part of Kyle's question is interesting because that's a little different, right? How long when you're running these campaigns, should you leave them alone before you start tweaking them? I think that's a a more interesting question than trying to be patient and let them run their course. So do you have any comments on that do you want me to take it?
1: no i mean i'll start by saying in the old days you'd really have to wait a long time right because all the data would have to come in the postcards from your you know uh trade show would have to come back but now we have the internet so i think that the 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 time to um go no go is is cut dramatically if we're doing digital campaigns i would think two weeks or so would give you initial indicators if you did an email and nobody responded to it in two weeks i'm pretty sure you have a dog there right And no matter how much of optimization you try to do, it's just not resonating with your target market. But if you did an email and your expectations were 50 and you got 25, then maybe you resend it with a slightly tweaked message and a slightly tweaked offer. And my rule of thumb is, as long as I'm making incremental uh, positive movement on the campaign, I stick with it. When it plateaus and starts to erode, then I think time maybe it's to replace it with a new campaign.
0: Yeah. I, you know, that's good advice just to give a slightly different perspective on the same question. There are some tactics that I consider like, just like you got to do them, right? Like email is one of those tactics that y- you could stop sending emails out, but that probably would be a mistake, right? Well, there's often
1: the cost benefit of that. Yes. Email. Well, I,
0: You're right. I was going to say, I mean, literally, it's, there's no cost associated with email, even the development of the email and the build of the email today is like super light lift, right? So there's almost no reason to not do an email. And with all of the privacy uh, and, and all of the spam filters and all of the things that are making email so much more of a challenging tactic these days, you could easily argue, we shouldn't do it anymore. It's too hard to get through to people. People are getting too many emails. Apple's made it increasingly difficult to, you know, do email effectively and get e- a good data on email performance. But I'm going to tell you that I still think you should, you should probably continue that, right? Don't worry so much about the tactics. And even when we talk to clients, like, yes, you could finesse a subject line, you know, for an hour to try to do better than you did last month. I'm not sure that's the best use of your time. Um, but understand the expectations and, and, and uh, adjust the investment, the time investment. In this case, accordingly, um, there are other tactics that you have to think about a little differently. So back to those demand gen tactics like um, social media advertising and even paid advertising, the algorithms that specifically Facebook and Google are running today are so sophisticated that you, you you should look at the performance of those campaigns in a couple of weeks, like Eric's saying, but I would probably let it run for at least a month to let those algorithms do what they're designed to do. And if you think about it, Facebook wants your campaign to perform, Google wants your campaign to perform, that's how they get you to continue to spend money on it. So if you're running a campaign and it's not working, it's not in Google or Facebook's interest. So They've really tweaked these algorithms to produce results and you have to let it run long enough for those algorithms to kick in and dictate uh, placement and budget and uh, even um, targeting criteria around those campaigns that you get the results you're looking for. So I agree with Eric, like I would look at it after a couple of weeks and see how it's doing. I think I might let it run for at least a month before I did anything just to see really how good Google and Facebook are getting it to work on their own. And then I would probably spend some time in the second month looking at optimization or maybe even running different variations of the same ads to see if they perform better and let them run for another month and then compare the two sets of ads. So there are things you can do from an optimization perspective in that second month. That makes the performance of these campaigns a lot more interesting. And that that, that, that applies to your website too. Um, landing pages need to be optimized on a regular basis. That really just comes down to how many people are, are, are visiting them, right? If two people visit your landing page in a month, that's just not enough data points for you to make any conclusions from it. If 200 people visit the landing page, but you're getting 200,000 people to your website, well, that might not be enough to make good decisions either, but 2000, and if that took you six weeks to get to 2000, but well now at least you have enough data points to make some, some good decisions based on the data around what kind of optimization to run around those landing pages. So I would I, that would be my advice, Kyle, for some optimization timelines. Okay, good. Uh, This is a good one for you, Eric. This is Bill in Phoenix. He wants to know, how should we evaluate our ability to execute some tactics versus getting help from an agency like yours on other tactics? So I know you talk to prospects a lot about what they're capable of doing versus what we're capable of doing. How do you help people navigate that decision when they're uh, they're trying, uh, trying to figure out how to tackle all these tactics?
1: Yeah, so the first thing is you can't look at it as singular tactics uh, in a vacuum. You have to look at it in an orchestrated fashion, meaning we got to do all these things. You mentioned a very interesting word earlier in omnichannel, right? One plus one definitely equals three when you're using multiple tactics at the same time because they're feeding off of one another, right? I got an email from this company. I saw them on LinkedIn. My friend talked about them. I checked out their website. All those things are working to build a case why you should engage with them. So omni-channel is really important. When you then develop that um, orchestrated approach, and let's say you developed uh, 12 tactics that you think need to be done in order to do that, then I would rank them on two axes, bandwidth and expertise, right? Bandwidth meaning do we have enough people to actually get this work done? And expertise is do we actually know what we're doing here or are we just winging it? If you take those and you put them into two columns, column A and column B, column A is we feel we have the bandwidth and the expertise to not only do the tactic, but do it in a excellent, aka remarkable way, then do it. But anything that you're concerned about that wouldn't be remarkable, wouldn't be uh, 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 interesting enough, unique enough for your company to go to market with then I think you have to put that in column B, which is the external resources column. Who do we need help with? Bring in a contractor, hire an agency. Whatever the way you skin that cat is doesn't really matter. But I think that marketing teams should focus on the things they're brilliant at and outsource the rest. And I'll give you a quick example. Uh, Working with a company right now, it's a prospect, and they are a pretty big company, 400 employees, and they have an eight-person marketing team. The sales team came to me and said, we need to run this campaign to go after this specific thing. And they said, honestly, we just don't have the bandwidth to do it. And we haven't run a campaign like this before. We decided we're going to reach out to Square2 to get a little help. And I said to them, well, you know, you're in a very unique situation. You actually execute pretty nicely on everything you're doing. But in this case, you don't have the bandwidth or the expertise. So let's do a dual function here. Let's help you create this campaign, but let's add in a few more hours for training. And the reason I said that was because they're doing well. They're a well-run marketing team. They just don't have the bandwidth or the expertise. So if we show them what we're doing, if we train them, if we create a mini playbook that'll help them do the next one, they'll even get more value for the next time they do that exercise and so maybe they could bring it in-house, save a little money, control the uh, 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 messaging or the, the costs or whatever. So- I think that's a better way to approach it rather than just like outsource the whole thing or try to do the whole thing ourselves. Like a blend is okay. If you have an agency that understands that every marketing and sales department is different and everybody has different skill sets and everybody has a unique budget, the good agency will say, no, no, we have to do it all ourselves. Actually, they'll
0: say, let's identify the gaps you have and then help you plug them." Yeah, that's really good advice. I also think sometimes this question is answered based on how important this campaign might be, because in some organizations, it might be okay for you to try stuff you've never done before and learn how to do it. Again, if it's not super urgent and the company is willing to let you learn on the job per se, then, you know, great, go, go to town. But if this is really key to the company's business objectives for the year or for the quarter bringing someone in from the outside who knows how to do it and isn't going to make a mistake and can teach you how to do it the next time is going to help you get to your goals faster than you trying to figure it out on your own. So I think that's an overlay to this decision that sometimes can help you decide what to do.
1: Yeah. Let me give you the actual example for the listeners. I think it'll be sure. interesting. So they're doing a lot of demand, Jen, they're doing a lot of inbound marketing. And when the sales team came to them for that campaign, what it was was we want 15 qualified prospects at a intimate dinner Adjacent to the largest industry shows for that industry. I don't know why I said industry twice, the largest shows for that industry, right? So let's say it's a healthcare show and there's gonna be 10,000 people attending. They wanted a campaign to put 15 butts in seats at that steakhouse. That's not something they've ever done before. It's not really mission critical, but it's something that the sales team said, we want to have six of these steak dinners at six of the biggest things in 2022. Can you help us? And they immediately said, we don't know what to do here. Bring in someone else. And I thought, to your point, that's really good, right? Because once, and what I said to them was, hey, let's do the first steak
0: dinner and then show you what we did. And maybe you'd want to take the other five yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. It might not sound mission critical, but you really have one chance to make that successful. Like if you whiff, you have zero people at the dinner, like that's just a waste of an opportunity. So well, again, for well, them to try it on their own and not be successful, they're gonna lose like a whole year's worth of opportunities there. They really need somebody to help them make sure that they you know hit a home run.
1: Well, I was looking at it. If some people don't show up, more bony and ribeye forever.
0: <laughs> more tomahawk for you, <laughs> right. All right. I got a couple more questions here and then we'll wrap up. This is an interesting one. This one, Mark and Austin. How about crossover tactics that bridge sales and marketing like ABM or sales email campaigns? What are some best practices around uh, to make these tactics successful? So I know this is your ballywick. What do you, what kind of advice do you have for Mark?
1: Well, you know, I'm a rabid fan of sales and marketing alignment, because back to our one plus one equals three, if we can get everybody in the revenue department, not sales, not marketing by themselves, if we can get everybody in the revenue department pulling on the rope in the same direction, that becomes pretty powerful. When it comes to tactical things, you have to get buy-in from both sides of that equation, right? Sales and marketing have to both agree. And that's where service level agreements come in, like, hey, guys, we're going to do these campaigns and then you promise that when we get these leads, you're going to close them. You know, that's like a a good little like horse trading exercise that everybody could be involved in. I think, though, that that is very, very dangerous territory if the culture of your company does, does not have that alignment and those two departments are siloed. Because I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a marketing person and they said to me something like, oh, well, that's the sales team. I have no idea how that works. And I say to myself, how could that possibly be? Just go over to the hall and sit in on that meeting and ask questions and understand what's going on. But cultures in every company are different.
0: And in that specific company, they keep them separate. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I think the big takeaway for these specific tactics are you're going to need feedback from both groups to make this work, right? So if we're running an ABM campaign and there's a set of social connects that precede any kind of outreach from marketing, And sales has to get those social connect messages and they have to get that content offer from marketing. They have to deliver it through social like LinkedIn or Twitter, however they're connecting with their targets. And if that's not working, they have to provide that feedback back to marketing so marketing can make some adjustments. So there are some tactics that, that typically fit in an ABM campaign like that. That's one of them. Um, Uh, so, it you know, uh, social outreach, messaging, very personalized content that can be shared on social by sales reps. Um, you're going to need pages on your website for people to go back to that are very specific to these industries or these roles that the sales reps are reaching out to. So there's a fair amount that goes into planning these ABM campaigns. A lot of people think ABM is actually a pretty simple set of exercises. It's one of the more complex things we do here because there is so much integration and there's so much personalization. If you have a general message that's going to someone in the CFO seat at a manufacturing company, it's not gonna connect. You need very specific CFO messaging, CFO manufacturing messaging for that person in order to get their attention. So it's a probably a more complex set of tactics than maybe you thought. All right, I got one more for you, Eric, and then we'll wrap up. This is a good one. Are there any tactics you would absolutely stay away from these days, Jackie, New Jersey, is looking for some warning signs, what are some things she should just flat out not do? Got any advice for her?
1: Oh, I sure do. So it all starts from the persona, right? You have to start with the persona. Who is the person we're looking to attract via this marketing? So when you start with the persona and you understand I'm looking for directors of purchasing at companies in this industry, blah, 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 blah. The next question is, how do they want to receive their information? So let's talk about the difference between a sales manager as a target versus a engineer as a target, right? Engineers, very detail-oriented. They like a lot of data. So I would make sure that the tactics that I provide are a match for the way they want to receive that information. Now let's talk about sales managers all over the place, on their phone, can't sit still, like to watch a two-minute video. They would never read a nine-page ebook, Right. So I'm considering that in my tactical things. When I realize that not only this is the target, but this is how they wanna receive information, it makes it very easy to cross things off the list. Now, put a COVID overlay on top of that. Direct mail to someone's office? Eh, I'm not sure that that's gonna be effective. You know, as part of our sales process, Mike, we send out a copy of our book. And I always say to someone, would you prefer me send it to their home or to your business? And I don't know, for the past 18 months, it's been 99% sent into my house. I work from home. So mass direct mail to someone's office, you got to cross it off the list. It's just not effective. Cold calling, Mike, tell the audience how we don't even have a phone system anymore at Square 2. We just use our cell phone. So to do cold calling or executive appointment setting to be more professional to someone's office, stay away from that. They're not in their office anymore. Um, uh, Trade shows maybe as COVID comes back, but you know, no matter what, you're going to get less people and it's just going to be not as robust. Maybe I stay away from a, until a time to be determined in the future when uh, trade shows and conferences return to their former glory. So it all starts with what's happening in the market, who am I targeting? All those things have to be put into the equation to decide whether it's worth your time and money to be involved in those things at all.
0: Those are all good ones. And Jackie, I'd tell you that it's not so much that I would say, you know, absolutely stay away from them. But some tactics these days do are harder to get to work than maybe they used to or harder to get to work than maybe they should be. Like if you want to consider LinkedIn advertising, you know, paid LinkedIn ads, it's a very high cost per click. It's a very high cost per thousand. Um, You know, the platform is very cluttered. So I wouldn't necessarily say like, absolutely, don't do paid LinkedIn advertising for certain companies in certain situations. It might actually make sense. But I think it's very hard for a lot of companies to get paid LinkedIn advertising to work for them. Right. Um, Cold emails. Uh, I had a a prospect we were talking to. uh, This wasn't last year. Maybe it was a couple of years ago. They wanted to do a million cold emails a month. And uh, we basically declined the project because I just didn't see how that was going to be successful. I just saw a lot of issues with spam. I saw a lot of issues with getting shut out of the technology platform they were using. It just seemed like there were more issues, going more, more challenges associated with success there than, than opportunities to be successful. So, I mean, I try to look at things from that perspective in terms of whether they fit into your program or not. Um, and then and then filter those out. So it's really like you have to decide which ones do you want to stay away from as opposed to me telling you, absolutely don't use these tactics because they're not going to work. I hope I that can, makes some sense.
1: I can pretty much say with 100% certainly, um, we should not do any more broadcast faxing.
0: <laughs> okay, fa- Jackie, faxing is out. So that is one you can cross off the table for sure. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. It was really great hosting you today. I do have a special offer in this episode. If you would like us to take a look at any of your current marketing tactics to see if they're aligned, and we can look at expected goals, we can give you some advice about what to add or what to take out. Just shoot Eric an email, eric at square He does these kind of reviews regularly with, with people. He'd be happy to take a look at what you're doing and give you some advice and guidance around how to adjust your selection of tactics so there you go free prize inside for episode 27 of what's wrong with revenue next week episode 28 we're going to be talking about goal setting and what's wrong with revenue you're not setting your goals correctly so You may be missing your targets, but maybe your targets are too high based on what you're investing in marketing or what you did last year. I've been in plenty of companies who set their goals simply by saying, let's do 20% more than we did last year. No rhyme or reason, no review of opportunities, no review of market, no review of competition, just we're going to do 20% better. What do you think happened to them? They did not hit their goals. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Thanks everybody for joining. Check out the show on YouTube at the Square2 Marketing Channel. Please subscribe. Please like us. Please give us comments. We love your comments. You can get the show tomorrow on the Square2 Plus uh, streaming service square marketingcom backslash square to PLUS. You can get all the episodes of our show there, plus all of our audio and video content in a really cool Netflix uh, metaphor for you guys. If you love Netflix, you can check out everything we do there. And if you want to submit questions like the questions Eric and I answered today, go to What's Wrong With Revenue at the bottom of the Square Marketing website, click on it, and there's a submit a question button. We would love to handle your questions, submit them, and we will take care of them on the next show. Eric, Have a really great rest of your afternoon. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you all next week. Take care.